I want to welcome you all to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really glad that you're um, with us on this, uh, I guess, not any more rainy morning, but um, rainy June morning. Um, Like Jay said, we're going to um, jump into this church planting month that we have. And we have um, a passage of scripture to kind of uh, to kick us off and get us um, with some context to what we're going to talk about today. So Luke 24, 45 says this. Jesus says, or, or Luke describing Jesus here says, Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written... That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And if we move over to Acts 1, this is Luke again talking about what happens next. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask that on a day that we're talking about um, church planting, talking about um, your bride, the church, um, your body, this idea of how do, how how does outposts of the kingdom, which we call churches, uh, representations of your bride, how do those things begin? How do those things start? What's our motivation for doing that? As we dig into those things, I pray above everything else that you are honored as we talk about your bride. And I pray as we talk about your bride, the church, that we would be changed, that we would grow in our affection and love for for your son and the church. And I pray that you would um, change the way we live when we leave this place, knowing that we're a part of the bride, knowing that we're a part of your body. And I pray that we might have a, a, a different view or, a, or at least be encouraged to be more aware of church planning and seeing your gospel go to the nations this morning as a result of looking at your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So church planting is um, it's an interesting word. So I want to start, get out of the gate, start out of the gate by just um, describing that word, we throw that around a lot, but it's a little bit strange to use um, a word like church put together with like a, a botany term like planting. When you first hear it, I think it's a little bit jarring of like, that's kind of weird. We just call it church, church starting churches or church starting or whatever. Um, but there's a reason why um, I think that term has been coined and used to talk about the starting of churches. We see this agricultural um, theme come up all throughout the scriptures, but especially 
in Jesus when he's teaching. He uses parables like the parables of the seed sower where he scatters seed amongst the ground and, and these seeds fall in different kinds of soil and different kinds of places and it affects how they grow and what they look like. Um, and you have this uh, picture that uh, Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians, which you looked at just a few months ago as we were going through 1 Corinthians, this idea that, that Paul and Apollos and these other leaders of the church, Peter, they can, they can plant seeds and they can water and they can do other things to cause, uh, to create an environment for the church to grow. But ultimately, the scriptures say God gives the growth. He is the cosmic gardener. He is the one who creates growth or does not create growth. He has uh, his choice to be able to do that. So there is a good reason, I think, why this process is referred to as church planting. And I know there's some kids in the room. And uh, kids, you think about planting and seeds. And when you think about uh, maybe, maybe you've planted some flowers in the last couple of months. And they start really small. And we do everything we can to um, hope that we do the right things to cause them to grow up to be beautiful flowers, but that's not always guaranteed, right? But we can do some things to be able to cultivate an environment that we see that happen, and it is um, similar to church planting. But also, there's another reason why I think church planting is a little bit um, foreign or, or awkward, is when we're in a church, maybe like this on Providence Road, I think it, we don't often step back and think, well, how did this place... But how do we begin? Like, what's the genesis of the church I'm a part of? And I don't know if you've ever asked, maybe uh, this is not your first church to be a part of. Uh, maybe the, those other churches you've been a part of, did you ever ask the question, how did those things begin? What, who did God use to bring about those churches that um, hopefully you benefited from and have grown from? Um, my wife and I, Nicole, we got uh, this over this last year, maybe two years, we got really into... Um, a newer TV show called Cobra Kai, right? Cobra Kai. And it's like a reboot of the, the, um, the, um, um, the, the movie Karate Kid, right? And this is a, an, an interesting show, and that in one hand, it's really bad. Like, it's really cheesy, and it, like, it shouldn't be this good, but we both like it, and it's really, really good. But I, I, I even I start to think about this and try to explain, and I've had done this as I've been talking about it, that try to explain the plot of this show to someone who doesn't have the nostalgia connected to the original Karate Kids, right? It's like, um, oh, you've got these two like, middle-aged guys that are trying to fight each other, um, you know, the, and, and really their, their past diverged from a karate tournament their senior year of high school, and it's kind of determined their paths and how they treat people and the relationships with their kids. And this tournament was such a big deal that it kind of set them on this course for um, some thriving, some not, and they go back and forth. And then they have actually kids, and they get involved with this and to the point that they, they feel the need to open up their own dojos um, as middle-aged men in order to train their kids to defend and fight one another in this kind of like this kind of weak gang type feeling you get in this movie, and then full of cheesy one-liners and, and all the rest. And so it is similar to that. Like if you, it's really hard for you to be convinced to try to watch this show if you don't have that nostalgia connecting to you. I want to read just a really quick paragraph that kind of gets to this from a, a movie or show reviewer from the Washington Post. He says this. Um, he's kind of the same way as I am. He loved it, but he was also saying it's really bad, 
so I don't know why I love it. He says this. Let's get to the not good part out of the way. This show rests on some pretty absurd premises, the most obvious of which is that one's destiny is determined by teen karate tournaments. Indeed, karate is to Cobra Kai as Windex is to my big fat Greek wedding, and vibranium is to Wakanda, the magical cure for all ills. The notion that a middle-aged white guy, even one as clueless as Johnny Lawrence, had literally never heard of Facebook is nuts. And clearly this show exists in a fictional universe in which psychotherapy was not invented because, dear God, that would have, uh, uh, I don't even know this word, ameliorated a lot of the conflicts that drive the plot. I stand by every assertion made in the last paragraph. I also do not care because this show is awesome, right? And that's how, and so um, I say that in, you know, in, in humor to just show that I think sometimes we miss something and we miss the opportunity for God to really grow our love and affection for the local church we're in if we take some time to learn how it began and the why behind it and some of those things. And we'll get into some of that this morning as we get into church planning. So really all I want to do is, is really briefly a big 50,000 foot flyover of the why of church planning in the scriptures. I want to look at it more from like a process and a a chronological point of view as we look at the scripture. So, and there's really four, I think, phases here we can break this down into understand the why of church planning. And the first is that church planning begins with God before the foundation of the world. Church planning was in God's mind, it was part of his plan to reveal his glory to it in his son to the rest of creation. This was at the heartbeat of God's plans. Let's look at Ephesians 1 3 through 6. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. That's chapter 1 of Ephesians. The second chapter of Ephesians, at the end of it, really is the same thought process. Right? This is one thought Paul has in these two chapters in Ephesus, in Ephesians, writing to the church in Ephesus. And so now I want to read the last really four verses of this thought in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So Paul is continuing here. He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this is, uh, this is Paul highlighting the fact that at the, at the beginning of this, uh, chapter 1, he's saying this is God's plan before the foundations of the world to, to, to reconcile people to himself. And then he does that for the purpose we see at the end of chapter 2, to be built up into this structure, into the church, the bride of Christ. And so the church existed in God's mind before the foundation of the world. And we need to start there. He's the author. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's everything when it comes to the church. Human beings do not plant churches. We talk about that a lot. We, we like to think that sometimes at our worst. But it is ultimately God's responsibility to plant churches in, his, in the big story that he's laid out. 
Second kind of phase of the process, we see it continue in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? We see this um, a little bit, kind of shadows of this in the Old Testament. And then when Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels, he speaks about this, especially in a place like Matthew 16, 18. The second half of this verse, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right? So he, 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 this is in that passage where he's, it's kind of the big identity statement. He says, who do you say that I am to his disciples? And they, and they confess of who he is. And then he's, he kind of backs that up with this statement here. I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Like nothing, even the strongest human force on earth is not going to prevail in my mission to plant my church. Period. Now, that's a global viewpoint, like that's a big viewpoint, that's outside of kind of time in some sense. So will churches fail? Absolutely. Will there be seasons in certain parts of the world where the church isn't growing and churches aren't being planted as much? Absolutely. But in the big cosmic, cosmic historical viewpoint, and we look at all of the world, Jesus is building his church and he continues to build his church. And we see that if you look at stats and numbers throughout the world right now, even in our country and maybe Europe, things aren't quite as, as, as bright when you hear these numbers thrown out. But you look at South America and Africa and parts of Asia, the church is blowing up like never before since um, Jesus walked the earth okay so the so he is continuing to build his church and then part three jesus gives us this this mandate or commission to make disciples as he is transitioning back to heaven what we call the ascension and he says this at the end of his ministry in matthew 28 18 through 20 this is what's uh, referred to as the great commission and jesus came and said to them all said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And then part of that passage I read earlier, Acts 1, 4 and 5, he says this, kind of following up on that. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So if you remember this, the disciples, they've, they've, they've seen the resurrection, right? We've talked a lot about the resurrection in the last couple of months. So they've, they've witnessed the resurrection. And they're like, like caged lions wanting to go out and, and talk about Jesus. They want to they tell the whole world, everybody around them, what they have seen and heard. And that their worlds have been turned upside down by the, the cross and then the resurrection and then interacting to, in, with Jesus after the resurrection, the fact that their Lord and their Savior and their King's alive, and they are fired up. But Jesus says, wait. Like, you can't do this in your own strength. He says, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I'm sure at that time, they didn't really quite put all that together, but all they knew was Jesus saying, wait. Like, don't go out there and do that yet because you need help. You needed to be equipped by the Holy Spirit. The other thing you'll see in these verses is this idea of discipleship, okay? 
church planting, that word, you don't find that in the scriptures, right? You don't find that in the scriptures. But this is why when we see the word discipleship, we have to see it connected to church planting, okay? These two things are really inseparable. The idea of making disciples and planting churches, right? Churches are birthed from a group of people making disciples in a certain context, Right? There's, there's no context in the scriptures that we see a bunch of disciples kind of floating around without a strong connection to the church. Okay? And then once churches are planted, they become the means and really the engine for dis- more disciples being made and disciples being grown and, 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 and rising up and growing up in the faith. So God's glory is known um, and the kingdom that Jesus talked about becomes a reality here on earth. This is how discipleship and church planting are connected. So when a church is planted or, or started, um, the primary purpose when, to, to, when that happens is that the area of darkness or lostness or lack of belief in God in a particular area would decrease, right? We go in, we want to plant churches, so those things decrease where gospel presence, his grace, his mercy, his love, his tangible uh, service increases in a given area. Okay, that's the, that's the primary goal of church planting. So when a church is planted, it should primarily be about seeing people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Being people who have never heard the gospel, who have never been exposed to biblical community, to see those people changed and, and give their lives to Jesus, okay? This, and really, this should be the aim of churches no matter how old they are, right? It shouldn't just be church plants that are after those who don't know Jesus. It should be all churches should be about seeing people who are far from God, seeing people who've been uh, maybe burned by the church, seeing people who um, don't know Jesus, haven't heard the gospel, haven't been shown the tangible love of Jesus. Those are the people that churches should be going after primarily. But many of you in here came to Providence Road, um, not because you, you, you were saved or God saved you and brought you into the church. Some of you did. But a lot of you came because maybe you, you moved to town and you were looking for a church. And that's fine. Church plants can kind of build from that type of person. But here's the deal. The important thing is, is that, that that's okay as long as the people joining the church in that way are being equipped and sent out to make disciples. Because remember, the primary purpose of the church is to see lostness or spiritual darkness decrease in a given area. So if you come into a church, we should be about equipping and raising up people to go make disciples to see those things happen. That's, that's the purpose of the church, okay? The, to see lostness push back. To see God's grace and mercy and love made manifest in a given area. That is the purpose of the church. Now, part four of this, Jesus equips and empowers us to be witnesses to make disciples and plant churches. And we see that in Acts, right? The Holy Spirit falls. After he tells them, wait, it falls on him. The, the, the disciples there at Pentecost, they preach the gospel Thousands of people get saved, give their lives to Jesus, and then we get this really beautiful picture of the early church in Acts 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, you see that there's this discipleship kind of engine being built up there. They're learning, they're growing, and we'll see it throughout the book of Acts, these people get sent out to plant more churches all over that Middle Eastern, Mediterranean area in the time that Acts was um, describing. So discipleship and church planting go hand, to, hand in hand together. Really, we shouldn't um, think about one without thinking about another. So think about this for a second. Think about if you had some, a, a, a going to an area and there were a bunch of people that became followers of Jesus, became uh, disciples or Christians uh, without even thinking about the church, right? You would have um, disconnected people, no true community, immature disciples over the long period of time. And this is an issue with some of um, uh, evangelicalism's um, uh, views on, on evangelism, right, and, and how people are saved. You have kind of these big events, and it's just we want to preach the gospel and get people saved and to make decisions, and, and those things aren't all bad. We want to see people converted and the Spirit change people's hearts, um, but oftentimes those, those professions of faith are just the beginning of people seeking God. Just their journey of coming and trying to figure out what this Christian life is and who Jesus is and trying to have some questions answered. And really only a person who is being evangelized in the context of ongoing worship and a shepherding community uh, can really be sure of finally coming home to a vital saving faith. Right? So, so you think about this, it, 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 it's like... It's like throwing a group of basketball players onto a court, right? But throw a bunch of basketball players onto a court, um, but not put them onto teams, not give them any direction, not give them any guidelines, don't give them a, a scoreboard or a clock or anything, and, and tell them to play, right? Like the, 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 the people are out there, the players are out there, but there's nothing else around them. There's no structure, right? And so oftentimes, this is a kind of method of evangelism that's divorced from the local church or divorced from seeing churches raised up. So more disciples can be made and health can, be, can happen in the midst of mission, in the, in the midst of evangelism. So disciple, being, making disciples and church planting go hand in hand. Let's think of the other side of it, right? Let's think of church planting without discipleship. And this has happened as church planting has become more popular, especially in our country. Um, church planting often is we just want to get a, put on a service, get a service together, and try to get a bunch of people in the room and do preaching and have some worship sets and maybe have some kids ministry, and we're going to start a church like that. Um, but the problem with this is the people attending, they're, they're not there to potentially be a part of the local church. They're not there for, to be discipled. They're not compelled to give their lives to one another. Therefore, this, this church event, this church service becomes passive. It, it produces consumers, right? They just want to come and hear a sermon or hear some music or maybe ha have a good kids ministry or whatever, and there's never a call to discipleship because that was never a part of the beginnings and the DNA of the church. This is why when I... 
coach and assess church planners, and most of that happens through Acts 29. Um, before we even talk about planning sermons or what kind of worship philosophy you're going to have or what kind of kids ministry you're going to build out, I want to see a plan for how are you going to make disciples. How are you going to preach the gospel in this area you're going into where people will understand it and not have all this baggage surrounding the gospel? What's your plan for making disciples? And then as those disciples grow up and you make disciples and they mature, then you can start putting some of the structures that we think of as church around them so you have this balance of making disciples that grow up into being the church. right? And this, to use that basketball analogy, and this is like... Create, like building a really sweet basketball court, getting some awesome uniforms, two teams, laying them out on the court, ready for the players, selling a bunch of tickets, and then having no players on the court. There's no disciples, right? You created everything around it for the service, because oftentimes that's what we think of when we think of church, it's just, just the service, but there's no discipleship. There's no, um, there's no uh, power and encouragement for evangelism, and therefore you're, you are left with a, a, a good church service. But I'm, I, I fear that the, 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 the DNA of making disciples is not there when that happens, okay? So big statement here, and then I'll move on to some practicals. Making disciples, which leads to church planning, is God's strategy for making his name known by redeeming and reconcil- reconciling the world to himself. Okay, so the way churches are planted is through the making of disciples, and we see that clearly in the scriptures, especially the New Testament. Now, what are some other reasons we plant churches, some other whys that maybe are outside of the Bible but are very uh, practical and good reasons? Um, Study after study shows that new churches are the best equipped and in the best position to reach people who don't know Jesus. Right, because there, 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 there's some newness there. Maybe there's not a lot of baggage. Maybe some of you here are uh, not followers of Jesus, and 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 so I think you would probably prefer to come into a church that doesn't have a lot of baggage, or you don't have any connection with it. There's kind of a clean slate feel when you want to come into a church, and that's one of the reasons why new churches are best at reaching um, the unchurched. Um, One study showed that um, dozens of denominational studies have confirmed that the average new church gains most of its new members from the ranks of people who are not attending any worshiping body. Okay, so church plants plants are good for just um, um, people who don't know Jesus coming into and being exposed to um, what a biblical church is. The other things, if done right, church planting can, can help older churches can reinvigorate churches who've been around for a really, really long time if partnership is done well. It can create um, other partnerships and other synergy with churches in town and other organizations to see an area um, saturated with the gospel and the love of God. So there are some practical benefits to why churches are needed and and planted. Even though I'm sure many of you think, um, especially in a city like Norman, why do we need another church, right? Like there are buildings everywhere, there are denominations. Why plant another church in Norman? And study after study show that it's a good thing, if done properly, for new churches to come into cities. It can help old churches, and it can invigorate other ministries in the city, if done properly properly and correctly. Um, All churches have a life cycle, right? Like Providence Road of Ephesus that Paul planted is not there anymore. 
Paul didn't plant Providence Road of Ephesus. I was kidding on that. But, like, Paul didn't probably name his church. He wasn't, con- he wasn't concerned about the marketing of that. But the churches Paul planted in Ephesus, they're not there. They're not there anymore. The greatest planter in the history of the world, those churches he planted are not there anymore. Right, 2,000 years later or so. They're not there. And that's okay because the legacy of those churches continues and spread around the world. Churches have a life cycle. Providence Road, I, I hope that we last a long time. But in, in you know, a couple hundred years, we probably won't be here. But I'm hoping the legacy that we've left and the seeds that we've planted and the roots we've put down will, will be far-reaching in other churches and seeing other new uh, work start. I mean, you can see this in my history. First Baptist Church, two blocks that way, um, was planted in 1893, shortly after the land run, shortly after stated, 1893, right? 1893, over 100 years ago, well over 100 years ago now. And um, they were planted in 1893, and I started attending First Baptist Church over there in 1993 and, and was saved at that church in 1995. And then in 2010, Nicole and I moved back to Norman to start Providence Road Church. So would Providence Road Church be in existence as it is now with me being uh, one of the leaders of the church? Probably not without the ministry of First Baptist Church, without the planting of First Baptist Church in 1893 by probably settlers coming from the east to the west around the land run time and settling and and putting roots down in this area. And they wanted a church. They, They felt like Norman needed a church, so they started First Baptist Norman. And we are all reaping the benefits, and we're standing on the shoulders of people who have gone before us who've planted churches. There's a legacy there that we feel as we live our Christian lives. And we, so we can't lose sight of the bigger picture. So for a church like us, we want to be about leaving a legacy of planting churches. And some of you kids in this room that are in Providence Road now, maybe you will get to be a part of churches that we plant um, in um, the, 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 the surrounding area in the years to come. Maybe when you all get really old, maybe you all can be deacons and elders at a church that Providence Road had a hand in planting, and we may not even be here anymore, but we want to leave a legacy for um, the coming generations in a, a really that missional outpost idea. So Acts 29. Let me touch on that really briefly. This is kind of how we've chosen to plant churches, or the network that helps us do that. Um, if you've ever wondered why it's called Acts 29, um, there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and they wanted to name the, the back in, let's see, it's 15, 20 years ago, they thought it would be a, a kind of a neat idea to say the church is continuing, right? The church continues past Acts 28 because that's what God's doing. He's still building uh, the church. And so it's called Acts 29. But Acts 29 does not have 29. I mean, Acts does not have 29 chapters. Don't try to find it. Uh, you won't find it. And, and you, maybe you'll look awkward trying to find Acts 29 and get frustrated. Um, but um, so he, he um, we're part of Acts 29. Um, and really what Acts 29 is, and you got a lot of this from the video, um, but Acts 29 exists primarily to plant churches, to plant healthy churches. And it's a, div- a diverse global network. Now, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, it wasn't a diverse global network, but a lot of effort and energy has been in to making it more diverse, right? Through, and the primary things they do are assessing and training and supporting churches as they're just starting and also helping them become churches who plant more churches because that's part of the DNA of Acts 29. They don't want a church to, to start and then not ever plant a church again. They want churches to plant more churches and those churches to plant 
churches where you have this family tree of great, great, great uh, grandson and granddaughter churches as other churches plant churches. Uh, Nicole and I have had, a, 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 for the most part, a great experience with Acts 29, especially early on when we were planting and trying to figure things out. We were um, interviewed. We were assessed. They picked our marriage apart. They, they really wanted to make sure we were healthy to plant a church so we wouldn't um, shipwreck our marriage trying to plant a church, which is, which is hard to do. Um, so they've been very supportive of us. And now we're not as connected to the, the national office as much because we're 10 years into this. But the, the Acts 29 churches in this area are where we're connected. We work together. We do a lot of this kind of organically now because we've developed such good relationships over the years. Here's a little bit of Acts 29. Um, it's, it's globally diverse in ethnicity, in location, and denominationally. There's several denominations that make up Acts 29 churches, over 50 countries, over 700 churches. Um, it's committed to diversity at all levels, even at the top in leadership. Um, there's diversity all the way down to the churches being planted. There's a commitment to diversity. Um, there's a seminary that started a couple of years ago called Grimke Seminary. It's named after um, Francis Grimke, who was a, um, he was a slave um, in Charleston, South Carolina, and then he was freed, and then he went on to um, um, get uh, study and become a, a preacher, a church planter, a very influential Christian leader in Washington, D.C., and um, this seminary is named after him. And this seminary, one of their main purposes is to resource and give uh, people, minorities and people from urban areas, a, a low-cost seminary, quality seminary education and equipping to plant more churches amongst minorities and in urban areas. Areas. That's one of the main reasons why Grimke was started by a guy by the name of Doug Logan, who's um, <clears throat> he's the vice president of Acts 29 right now. Um, an initiative that started recently called Thrive in the City. This is the initiative to, to plant more churches in urban centers and minority communities. Doug Logan, Eric Mason, um, Jerome Gay, some of these other guys that are connected to Acts 29 are a part of that. Um, Acts 29 also has a rural collective. So we're not looking just at cities. Oftentimes, rural um, communities um, get left behind when you think of church planning because it's maybe not as cool to go into a rural area. Um, but um, there's a guy who um, just was planted at a frontline church in Oklahoma City. He went to the middle of the cornfields of Iowa and is planting a church in Iowa and is doing a, a killer job right now. So he's a great example, of, and he's a part of this rural collective to see churches being planted everywhere. And so Acts 29 is trying to support and raise up uh, planters and healthy churches in that way. One of the illustrations that um, uh, I've, I've always wanted to use, and, and we've used it over the years, is I want to be a, an aircraft carrier rather than a cruise ship as a church, meaning I want to be a sending church. We want to be a sending church as leaders of this church. We're in a college town. College students, you have that four-year cycle where you, you're only getting college students mostly for four years, most of them. We want to send them. We don't want them just to leave. We want to send college students. Um, I forget to mention that we give every dollar that you give to Providence Road, 1% of that goes to Acts 29 and their administration costs. There's just, a, I think, a handful of people in um, Southern California is where the office is at. There's just a handful of people that do all the, a lot of administrative communication work, like uh, for this video to be put together, those kinds of things. Um, and then we give, Acts 29 uh, makes us, it requires us to give another 9% on top of that to church planting. 
And we have to kind of tell them, hey, here's who we've given money to. And so they're keeping us accountable to put money behind our vision to want to see more churches planted. So 10% of everything that is given to Providence Road goes directly to church planting. 1% to like the logistical kind of offices of Acts 29, and then 9% actually to churches that are being planted. So here's what I want you to do in closing. Five things, and I'm going to run through these quickly. Here's like this question of, well, what, how does this matter to me? If you're still asking that at this point, number one, be aware. Become educated. This is what, what we're, why we're doing this month. But be aware. Be educated on what church planning is. Try to understand it. Um, two, pray for church planning. Pray for church planners. Um, three, get to know our church planners when they come in these next three weeks. If you don't know them, please come and just ask them questions. Be interested in what they're doing. Tell them, thank them for what they're doing. Four, um, this is important. Look to reproduce in your own spheres of life. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Church planting is reproducing the church like at a macro level. We want to call all of our church to reproduce, which is making disciples, at a micro level, in your own life, in your own spheres of influence, in your own neighborhoods, in your workplaces, amongst your friend groups, right? That's where we want the church as individuals to reproduce. This is what our missional communities help support you in that endeavor. So don't just think church planting and reproduction is at the macro level, it really starts at the ground level, at the micro level, as we're going through our normal, everyday lives. Um, lastly, um, and I, this isn't just a throw-in. Jay mentioned this, and I'm going to mention it again. But pray about planting yourself. Pray about leaving with the next church planter we bring in to help them plant that church. Just consider it. Be open to it. Instead of thinking, oh, I would never do that, just be open to it. Allow God to, to work in your life as we start to talk about this and we start to talk more about church planting and possibly bringing in a church planting resident. Um, I'm hoping that in two or three years we'd have people standing on this stage and we're commissioning them to send them out to plant a church. There are places all over in the backyard of Norman that need churches. All over the state we've identified cities that we'd like to plant churches in. That goes for all over the country too and, and globally as well. Kids, if you have that map, if you've been coloring that whole map, that whole, that, that whole map you're looking at, we want to put churches all over that map. So kids, one thing you could do, you could take that home and just put little dots in all the places on that map that you would like to see a church. And maybe pray with your parents for churches in the places you put those dots. Maybe you could look them up on a map uh, um, and see what church, what, where the city is close where you put that dot. Right? Pray about it. Expose yourself to it. Consider it. Because churches are started by teams. Yes, there's planters, there's people who've been trained, but if we ever send out a church planter, they need to have a team around them. And where's the team going to come from? This room, okay? So be thinking and praying and considering that as we start talking more about it as a church. Last passage, I want to um, remind us and bring us back to the gospel. Why are we doing this? Because it's in God's plan from the foundation of the world. And, it's, it, and Jesus is the head. Right? And the reason why we're motivated to do this is because we've received the benefits of this. Listen to this passage. It's a great passage for us in this moment. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the gospel. Listen to verse 18. All this is from God, from him. He's the source who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he hands us the ministry that reconciles. To, to, that brings people back to himself. 
Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message, the gospel message of reconciliation. That's our message. Therefore, this is a night, now listen to this, we are ambassadors for Christ. You can use missionaries there. You can use sent ones. We are now his ambassadors, all of us. This isn't for um, superstar Christians or just pastors, right? This is for everyone. This is to everyone in the church. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for um, something like church planning that is important, and uh, maybe, maybe some of us hear a lot about it, maybe some of us don't, but it's clear from your scriptures that we're called to make disciples that form into churches. And I pray that you would use us. Um, you don't have to use us, but we want to be used by you. Providence Road wants to be like... Um, a son or daughter whose daddy grabs them by the hand and says, come to work with me. Come to work. Come, come, let, me, let me show you what I'm going to do. Let me show you what it looks like when I plant churches and people are redeemed and people uh, experience the tangible love of Christ for the first time. Come along with me, and I'll let you help here and there, and I'll give you, I'll give you some things to do here and there, and you're going to get to witness and see amazing things happen. And we want that. We want to be a part of seeing churches planted and people redeemed and systems changed and cities changed and the love of God tangibly work into all the crevices and cracks of society. And we believe that's primarily done through the planting of churches. So help us, motivate us, and don't let us take our eyes off this um, um, after um, this month has passed. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Well, now.